remind you that the church planning and direction dinner is here tonight um, at 6 o'clock. And um, uh, if you've signed up, I uh, expect to see you here. And if you hadn't signed up, my wife said, I've made too much food, so you're still welcome to come. And uh, so there's plenty of food to go around. I uh, hope to see you guys here for that. It's, 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 um, it's going to be a good time as you hear from uh, our, our leadership on, on what God's doing in this next coming year with our fellowship. Also, Martin wanted me to let you know that the On High Snow Hiking Trip is coming up February 18th. And after church today, for those of you who have signed up, there's going to be a meeting in the Sunday school area um, I don't know exactly which room, one of the rooms back there where you can get some of the details about the, the snow uh, shoe hiking ministry that's coming up, uh, or the snow hike through the on high ministry that's coming up. And the last thing is the couple's bowling night, February 25th. I don't know if you guys have done this in the past. We've done this uh, for the last few years, and it's a really, really fun and cool thing. And uh, lots of people come to it. It's for adults. It's a time of, of couples night out, and... Um, uh, it's at the Bowling Alley. Uh, Chris, do you remember how much it is, Vicky? A couple? Like a couple? And that includes wonderful prizes for good and bad bowlers. <laughs> so depending on which prize you want, uh, just come for, uh, they have good nachos there too, by the way. Good nachos. So come and join us there. Hey, uh, Genesis chapter 26 is where we're at this morning. We're continuing through our study of the book of Genesis. And, and there's, still some, there's some things in addition to this study this morning that God's laid on my heart that I, I feel like I, I really want to share with our fellowship. And um, to begin with, just take a look around the people next to you, just real quick. I get to see you all, but but um, take a look at the people around you. You guys, some of them people you know, some maybe some of the people you don't know so well. But I was really reminded of this stark reality this week that, and, and it's something that we have to be reminded of as a church, and something that God reminded me of. But as I look around at you guys, and I, I think about our fellowship, and, and, and uh, two things come to mind. First thing that comes to mind is you guys are a bunch of messed up people. <laughs> Amen? And, and, and as you look up here, hopefully you go, you're pretty messed up too, brother. And, 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 and I am. But the other thing that I, I know about you guys is that um, you guys have Jesus in you. And um, you, you exhibit God's love and you emulate Jesus Christ in so many wonderful ways. The reason why I point that out to you is because as human beings, we have a choice when we realize these things when it comes to the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, our brothers and sisters. And we have a choice to decide what part are we going to focus on when we look at one another. Is it the messed up stuff? Or is it the Christ that's in us that we that we see the see the thing about a christian which seems to be kind of oxymoronish to me when we expect more from one another and judge each other with a critical heart or a critical spirit but one of the things that we all have in common as christians is that at some point in our lives god came to us and said you're messed up and you need me and we agreed with him i'm messed up 
and I need you. And so if you think about it, this, this building is a, is, a, is a gathering place for people who go, I'm messed up. And yet we can come to church often with the wrong attitude, with the wrong spirit, and go, man, there's a lot of messed up people here. And we look at it with judgment and, and, and condemnation, and, and, and it's, it's not the spirit of Christ. It's not the heart of Christ. And we don't give each other grace. We don't give each other mercy. We don't give each other forgiveness. And it can be something as simple as, nobody said hi to me today at church. Or I didn't get invited out to, to lunch. Or, or, or these kinds of things that we may have expectations for. But in that, we need to check our heart in two ways. Number one, we need to remember, guys, that yes, we're all a bunch of messed up people that are gathering together because we are in need of the same thing, the same one. But we need to remember in that that we're, a, that we're called when we come to this place that's full of messed up people to not necessarily look at what we can get, but to look at what we can give. To see who are those people that we can reach out to. Because we're all hurting. We're all broken. But we all have the answers. And so the willingness to share your life here in this place as, as Livingstone Calvary Chapel is, is going, who can I invite out after lunch? Who can I have over to my house this week? Who can I ask, how's it going? And, and, and don't receive the, it's fine, answer. When you're really concerned about a person and going, no, tell me, what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? Be the person who's a doer and looking to do and understand that inside each one of us is God's Holy Spirit. And so when we look for one another and we look to one another, why don't we look for what is good and stop looking at what is bad, which is there in all of us still and will be until the day the Lord comes back. And he's doing a good work in us. And he's going to be faithful to do that work and continue that work and to complete that work until the very day that he comes back, he's going to be doing it. But we must be willing, guys, to, to give each other grace, to dwell with each other in an understanding, an understanding way. And so I just wanted to share that with you as a, as a way of a reminder, not as a, as a condemnation or, or even as a, as a criticism, but really as an encouragement to, to remember that we need to kind of refocus at times that mind. And not just within our own body, but how about the church body as a whole? There's a lot of other churches in this community that don't necessarily line up exactly with the things that we think or exactly with the ways that we believe. But why focus on those things when we can focus on the fact that they are our brothers and sisters in the Lord who love Jesus Christ, who are saved by God's grace, and believe that and profess that. And, and, and so let's build up one another. You want to know who tears down? It's the enemy. You want to know who criticizes? The enemy. It's not the heart of Christ or the spirit of Christ. And so may it not be so among us, whether as, as a body of Livingstone Calvary Chapel or as the greater body of Christ, may we look to elevate. May we not join in those conversations when we hear things about other churches or other pastors or other people and other, and other churches. Let us look for those things that are going to edify and build up and be an encouragement. And that's all I have to say about that. Genesis chapter 26. Let me get back to my screen here. It's kind of shut off now. And um, last week, or excuse me, last Wednesday, by the way, guys, if you're not coming on Wednesday, it's my own personal opinion, and you can ask other people who have been coming, and you know what opinions like. But my personal opinion is, 
it's been a really awesome time so far of going through the book of James. We've done the introduction, and we've studied through the first 12 verses, which talks about trials and tribulations. It's a lot of fun, let me tell you. But it, it, it's a good study, and I would encourage you to come and be a part of it as we continue on. This, this next Wednesday, we're going to finish the, the, the first chapter, and we'll move on. It's only a, f- a five-chapter study, but it's, it's, a, it's a, a powerful book that will definitely change your life. And as we studied through the first 11 verses this last Wednesday, um, James, in verses 2 and 3 of that first chapter, says this. He says, he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And in light of this, on Wednesday, I pointed out the importance in which James is, is calling our, 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 our focus upon. I, I called our attention to the fact I pointed out that um, it's important to have a right outlook and a right attitude during a trial, in times of trial, in times of tribulation, when you're facing adversity. And in regards to having the right outlook, James tells us, he tells us in, these pass- in that passage and in those verses, the first thing he tells us, to, he says, know that trials, in regards to an outlook, he says, know that trials are a testing of your faith. That there's a reason for them, there's a purpose for them, a godly reason, a godly purpose. And, and to begin with, we need to know in regards to an outlook and dealing with them and going through them is, is that they're set apart, that they're purposed by God in order to test our faith. And, and in addition to that, James tells us that we are to know that these times of faith testing are designed by God to ultimately do a good work in us so that he might do a good work through us. And in that, I shared that really, as you look to the book of Ephesians, that Paul expounds on the fact that this salvation that we have become partakers of in regards to God's plan is more than just a work that he's done on a cross to give us eternal life. That it's a desire by God in saving us to give us life and life more abundantly. And so God's plan of salvation began with the work that Jesus did on the cross, but it continues with the work that God does in us and through us. That's part of God's plan of salvation. And so testings and, and trials are, are God working out his plan of salvation in our lives. And that's one of the reasons why we're told to work out our own salvation, right, with fear and trembling. And it's not that it's a working out and like you can work and earn your own salvation, but it's this continuing process of living this life in faith through Jesus Christ, as God works in us and through us. And as we now look into Genesis chapter 26, and we read on about Isaac, what we're going to see is we're going to see that like his father Abraham, Isaac's faith was also tested. And so it is with all true believers. All true believers will have their faith their faith tested. And so as we, as we see Isaac's faith being tested like we saw his father's faith being tested. And as we begin to prepare to study through this chapter, I want to point out this. Think about it for just a second. That true faith is always tested. True faith is always tested. And like James says, we can expect our faith to be tested by God through these various trials. Literally, I shared with the, with the group on Wednesday that it means colorful. 
colorful trials, through these various trials that surround us. We can be tested by God through the various trials that surround us, but we can also expect that our faith, in a sense, is going to be tested by our own heart from the temptations that lies within us. Now, when it comes to the testing of our faith, we need to understand that any faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Now, before I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I had faith. You did too. But your faith was in something that was faithless, unreliable. And only when we came to Jesus Christ did we realize that our faith was, our faith was trustworthy, that it was sure, that it was really like Hebrews 11, chapter 1 says, it was something that was rooted in evidence and substance of things hoped for and things believed. And true faith... Any true faith that can't be tested or any faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And this is important to know because in addition to God doing a work in us so that he can do a work through us, the testing of our faith gives us an assurance because it's tested and proven to be sure. And it gives us this assurance that our faith is genuine and then the confidence that our faith um, is something that we can build our lives upon. And that's really what it's about in, in walking in faith and living by faith is we come to this point where we surrender our lives to God and we begin to do things differently, meaning not our way or the world's way, but we begin to do things God's way and in accordance to what his word says. And we begin to stand on that as a pillar of faith. And as you move forward in that, God goes, look, it's real. It's true. It's trustworthy. And he brings these tests and these trials into our lives so that, he, that we can see that this faith doesn't it sink when a storm comes. That we can live our lives and build our lives upon this faith that we have received and are growing in today. With that, as we keep these things in mind, we read then about Isaac here in chapter 26 of verse 1. And it says in verse 1, there was a famine in the land. Besides, it says, the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Now, why do you think God came at that point and told Isaac to not go to Egypt? Because Isaac was thinking about going to Egypt. You know, and God, God's like that with us, is he not? I mean, you, we got a plan, we got, we got something in mind, we're reacting to it, you know, and God's always faithful. Hey, hey, Sean, don't do that, or don't go there, or hear me. And, and God's faithful to do this for Isaac as well, and it says in verse 3, he says, dwell, dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. And of course, that's a reference to the land of Canaan, the land which Abraham was called out from, and out from the land of Ur and into the land of, of Canaan, which, which will also be, we know, is the, the, the promised land. And then he says, I will be with you, and I will, bless, I will bless you, for to you and your descendants I give all the lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. Verse 4, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 
So God was affirming to, to Isaac the reason why he should stay and the plan that God had for him and these promises that have been handed down. And he said in verse 5, part of the reason why was because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. In other words, he's referring to his father and also to his father's example. So Isaac, it says, dwelt in Gerar. And the men of, this, of, the, of the place asked about his wife. And he said, she's my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of this place kill me for Rebekah, who was his wife, because she is beautiful to behold. And now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window, and he saw, and there was Isaac, showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. I think he said that with shame. I, w- I, I would hope that he said that with shame at that point. And then in verse 10, it says, And Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. And so Abimelech charged all of his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac showed, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Now verse 13 is my most favorite verse, and it says, The man began to prosper and continuing prospering until he became very prosperous. And I'm like, that's like the prayer of Jabez, kind of like, you know what, I'm going to write a book on this one. And, and, and just and claim it, right? Prospering and prosperous and, and, and so on. And so it says in verse 14, for he had the possessions of the flock and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. And now the Philistines had stopped up all of the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham and his father, and they failed, excuse me, and they filled them with earth. And verse 16, Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us. For you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which had, dug, which had been dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the names in which his father had called them. Also, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well running, of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well and quarreled over the one also, that one also. So he called the name of that one Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, From now the Lord has made room, it says, excuse me, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went from there to Beersheba. And we'll stop there. Father, I pray, God, for our time, the rest of the time here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us. Lord, that you would help us to see your face and hear your voice. Lord, it's all about you. It's all about um, what you've done for us, the life that you've called to, called us to. It's about coming to a greater understanding, Lord, and knowledge of who you are in your son, Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would be the, the center and the focal point of everything that goes on here today. Lord, we love you. We worship you. And I pray, God, that you would just, um, that you would use me. 
Father, um, that I wouldn't get in the way. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, even though the, the events that are recorded in this chapter are about the trials and the testing of faith that, that Abraham went through, what we see, even from the, the first few verses that we read, and as you read through the rest of the chapter, what you see is that Abraham is mentioned often. A chapter that's about Isaac, Abraham is mentioned often. In fact, if you do the, do the, the counting, it's eight different times that Abraham is mentioned by names, by his, by his name, and, and many other times where, where it speaks about Isaac's father. And by this, what we are seeing is that there's many similarities between Abraham and Isaac in regards to the challenges that they faced and also in the way that they responded to them. And if you've been here as we've been studying through this, you're going, man, this sure sounds familiar in a lot of different ways. And being the son of Abraham, it's, I think it's very understandable that Isaac would be like his father who exampled and taught his son what it really meant to be a man of God, what it really meant to be a follower of God, what it really meant to be a man of faith. But Abraham was not a perfect man. We know this. And there were times when his example was not a godly example, right? And so it's understandable that Isaac would struggle. It's understandable that he, being the son of Abraham, would even stumble in the same ways that his father had. In light of this, I think the first thing that we should realize this morning as we read uh, 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 about, or, or, or as, we, as we realize we read about the things in this chapter, is, is that um, the things that we're reading about here are more than just random circumstances. That's the first thing that we need to realize that they're not random circumstances. Rather, they are these God-ordained difficulties that we talked about when we studied through James on Wednesday and that we've even read about so far, these various trials that are God-ordained. And by them, we see that God was faithful in testing and, and refining Isaac into the man that he had called him to be and the man that he had created him to be. And with these things in mind, we first read in verse 1 about this famine. This famine that came into the land. And, and, and in this same verse, we're reminded about the previous famine that we had read about many chapters ago in regards to Abraham, and the one that he faced when he was first called out of Ur to the land of the Chaldeans, or out of the land of the Chaldeans and into this promised land. And that event is recorded back in Genesis chapter 12. And, and, and um, this was the first serious test of faith that Abraham had faced. Now, God had called him out of the land of the Chaldeans, and that was a step of faith, but that faith that he called him to was now first tested by Abraham, or by God to Abraham, with that famine that he faced. And we know that the temptation that came along with that testing of Abraham's faith was that, that, that Abraham was tempted to run down into Egypt. And in doing so, to do a couple of things. To begin with, it, 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 it was to remove or, or uh, remove himself or abandon the place that God had called him to, the very place that God had chosen for him and that God was giving to him. And we know that Abraham had failed this test, as we read in, in Genesis chapter 12. And, and he failed because he doubted God's promises. You see? He doubted God's promises to protect him and to provide for him. And in doing so, he gave way to that temptation, and he ran. 
He ran to Egypt. And not only did he set a bad example for his descendants, Isaac and, 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 and really generations after him and, and, the, and really the whole nation of Israel who at times was rebuked by God for putting their trust in men and not in him when they as a nation would even flee to Israel in times of, of famine rather than staying and in, 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 in trusting in God. But in addition to being a bad example for all of his descendants, we know that that move to Egypt, that fleeing from the, the, the trial or the tribulation, uh, put Abraham in this place where he would bring back with him an Egyptian handmaiden for his wife Sarah by the name of Hagar. <laughs> and we know, to say, it, um, um, to say the least, that she would become a stumbling block for him and for Sarah. As you guys know the story and, the, and with the birth of Ishmael. In light of this, we see that, guys, here's, here's the lesson, because in light of this, we see that running from a trial isn't good. But yet, that's often what we try to do, right? A trial, a tribulation, a hard thing. We want to run. We want to run from it. We want to run away from it. And it isn't a good thing. And not only is it, is it not a good thing, it's not a safe thing. And in this, we see that the safest place in this world for us to be is in the will of God. And the will of God according to James, and what we see here exampled over and over and over again, is for his kids to be in trials so that our faith could be tested. That's the safest place to be. For the will of God, in the will of God, and what we need to understand is, is that um, if we're in God's will, God will never lead us to the place where his grace can't provide for us. God will never lead us to the place where his grace can't provide for us. And this is important for us to know because running or fleeing from a temptation or a trial is something that we all face. And, and, and um, in those moments of doubt where we're wanting to run, in those moments of unbelief where we're wanting to flee, we usually ask ourselves that question, how can I get out of this? But when faith and obedience to the will of God is exercised, you know what the question is? Well, the question isn't, how can I get out of this? But the question then is, as James, James calls us to have that right outlook on the trial, the question then becomes, what can I get out of this? God, what do you have for me through this? Now, according to verses 2 and 3, as we look beyond this mention of the famine uh, in regards to setting the stage for what's going on here, we read in verses 2 and 3, and we see that um, Abraham's past example is mentioned. And, and by this, um, uh, we're pointed to the fact that um, Isaac sought to follow um, what his father had exampled when he faced his own, when he faced his own trial with this famine. And in doing so, he ran south to Gerar, which was the capital city of the Philistines, which is very south, uh, as far south as, as you can go into the promised land. And, and he did so in order to go get help from Abimelech. At that time, Isaac and Rebekah, according to chapter 25, a couple chapters ago, or, 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 or a few, uh, last chapter in verse 11, were told that they had been living in a place called Ber Lahiroi which was about 75 miles northeast of Gerar. 
But apparently this was, as I already mentioned, this was just a stopping off point. They had no intentions of staying in Gerar because God spoke to him and commanded Isaac to not go any further. He says, don't go down to Egypt. And then in, 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 in addition to this command or this warning, if you will, at, at the very least a warning, but it, to me it appears to be a command that, that God gave to Isaac, he then reaffirmed the covenant promises. In other words, going, he's given him, he's pointing him to, to himself. He says, don't go down there because this is what I've promised you. This is what I have waiting for you here. Don't give this up for this. And God was answering the question really of what can I get out of this, God, if I stay here and trust you and have my, put my faith in you. And God was, was reiterating or reaffirming the covenant promises to bless him and his descendants, the same ones that had been handed down through his father Abraham. And in doing so, Isaac was being called to remain in the place where his faith could be tested. God was saying, stay here. Let me test your faith. Let me do a work in you so that I might do a work through you. And as a result of Isaac's obedience, we read here that he was blessed. He prospered until he was very prosperous. <laughs> However, it's worth pointing out that the choice, that the choice Isaac was faced with this choice to stay and to trust God and to, or to go down to Egypt, it, it paints a spiritual picture for us. As you guys know, Egypt is um, spiritually portrayed or compared to this unbelieving world that we live in the midst of. And when we look through this spiritual lens, this, this lens of, of Egypt being a picture of a, the unbelieving world, we see how the things that Isaac was faced with is what we as Christians are equally faced with today. There are similarities in that trusting in God has everything to do with obeying Him. Trusting in God is everything to do with hearing what He has, has spoken to us and what he continues to speak to us, specifically in relationship to our, 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 our lives today and, and, and what comes to us through his written word. Trusting in what God has spoken to us and communicated, us, communicated to us through his written, written word. Trusting in this rather than going down to Egypt. What do I mean by that? Rather than going to the world's way of doing things, when it feels to us like there's a famine in our lives, a famine in the land. Meaning at those times when God, when, when, at those times when doing things God's way comes at a cost. Anybody know what that feels like? Yeah. There's times when doing things God's way or in, what, in a way that God has called us to do it comes at a cost. And in those times when we feel that or think that or are feeling that or, or, or in, in, times, in other times when, um, when the things that God has promised or the things that God has spoken to us, which we put a hopeful expectation in, in those times when they're not coming to pass in a way that we think that it should, or in a time frame that we think it should, we are called then again to put our trust in what God has said. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
and our obedience to, 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 to God is living in the, the obedience to God's word and what God has spoken is, is, is the figurative equal for us of, of living in the, the promised land and not going down to Egypt when we have doubts, when we have fears, when we have unbelief, but going, no, God, I'm going to stand here on your promises, on your word, and do what you have commanded me to do. It's a testing of faith, right? To go, I'm going to trust what God says in spite of what I feel or in spite of what I see, rather than going doing things in a way that seems right to me. So whether it's in relationship to doing our finances or parenting or our marriages or really any area of our lives in accordance to what God has spoken to us and what God has commanded to us and what God has called us to live by faith in, we need to ask ourselves, are we going to exercise faith by trusting in God's word, by dwelling dwelling (laughs) in the land of blessing? Or are we going to go to that spiritual Egypt and do things in a way that seems right to us? Or even worse, well, maybe equally as worse, but or in a way that the unbelieving world says that it should be done. Because make no mistake, the world says all kinds of things which is contrary to what God says in relationship to what they believe it should be done. And we can be tempted to make concessions, to compromise, to abandon God's word when, when lack of faith and unbelief steps in, when, when, when doubts and fears come. Now, if you look at verse 6 with me, in verse 6, it, as we read on it it, 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 it says, So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. In other words, he stayed. He obeyed. He heeded God's command. And the men, it says, of that place asked about his wife, and he said, she is my sister, for he was afraid to say she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of this place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. So Isaac chose to stay in the land of blessing. He heard God's word. His faith was built because God said, I got promises for you. And he didn't go to Egypt like his father had done. God stopped him in his tracks. God was faithful. And in verses 12 and 13, if you look there, it goes on to tell of the blessings that came upon Isaac, saying that the the seed that he sowed in that first year reaped a hundredfold, and that, that Isaac prospered and kept prospering until he became very prosperous. But in these same verses, we read that Isaac... Um, went ahead and did something that his father had done, even though he didn't go down to Egypt. He followed his father's example. And when we consider the the location of Gerar here, several things are revealed to us, including the wonderful grace of God. Now, this is what I mean. Gerar, if you have a map in your Bible or if you've done any studying, you're going to see that Gerar, as I already mentioned, is, is located in the most southern point of the land of Canaan. And although Isaac did not go into Egypt, he had gone as close as he could to it without actually entering into it. Now think about that in relationship to your own life, where God says, don't go there, or how about your own kids? Little kids, don't touch that. And what do they do? They, they like... 
You know, that's kind of what we see here with this geographical picture that's being portrayed for us. He, he went as close as he could get to it without actually entering into it. And this is important to notice, and it's important to point out, because in addition to revealing not only Isaac's willingness to obey because he stayed, right, it also reveals Isaac's willingness to compromise. In other words, Isaac could have and, 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 and should have gone the 75 miles back to Bear Lai Roy, the place where he had come from when God said, don't go to Egypt, he should have gone back, rather than deciding to set up camp in this border, still, in this border city, and, and he would have still been blessed by God. Remember, if he would have exercised that faith, he wouldn't have gone beyond the place where God still couldn't bring his grace upon Isaac's life and fulfill the promises that he had spoken to him. And the should-have portion of, of why this would have been best is revealed for us in the fact that when Isaac was in Gerar, what did he do? We read here with his wife. He lied. He deceived the king and the people of Gerar about who his wife was, saying it was his sister. You see, the point in all of this is revealed to us when we see that being in this border town brought forth a temptation, right? Being in this border town among these people with his, with his wife brought forth this temptation for Isaac then to protect himself. And, 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 and a compromise in doing so. A compromise in doing so. Doing something in a way that seemed right to him. And this also appears to have been a learned behavior from the bad example of his father and mother, considering that we, as we've studied through this, that we've come to learn, we've come to know that upon leaving her and going into the land of Canaan, when God had called them, that Abraham and Sarai, or Abram and Sarai at that point, that's what their names were, that they had contrived this plan Going into this foreign land with these foreign people and living as strangers in a strange land, they devised a plan to protect themselves rather than relying upon the promises of God. And they were telling people that Sarah was Abraham's sister rather than his wife for the very same reason, for fear of someone killing Abraham and taking her away. And we know that this plan was enacted at least two times by them, back in chapter 12 when they went into Egypt, and then in chapter 20 when Abraham had also gone to Gerar, and when he was there, he was the first one to perpetrate this deception against Abimelech. Abimelech would probably go, what's the matter with you guys? You come here, I, 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 I let you live here, and you lie to me, you deceive me. Your dad did it, and now you're doing it. And we look at what Abraham had done at that time when we were talking about it in chapter 20 and in chapter 12. One of the things I pointed it out about faith or, or walking in faith and, or living in faith is, is I pointed out how faith is living without scheming. And scheming is simply meaning we've got a plan of our own. And we're going to try to either help God out or figure it out for him. And never once does God say, Abraham, I think I need you to help me out here. Isaac, you know, you can go ahead and stay here. Don't go in Egypt. But what are we going to do about your wife? I think that maybe you should lie and deceive them because I don't think I can protect you from them. And it seems foolish to say, but yet when we scheme, we're doing the same thing in our own lives with whatever trial we face. We're going, okay, God, you got me in the midst of this, but, but I'm going to go ahead and fix it. 
When God said, don't just God says, live by faith, do what I say, do what my word says. I don't need you in there messing it up. <laughs> faith is living without scheming. And and how Abraham's and, and, and how Abraham's scheming was a compromise and a lack of trust in God's promise to protect him. Those are something that we looked at. That scheming was ultimately Abraham's was a sign or an evidence or a proof of his lack of trust in God's promise to protect him. Likewise, it was Isaac's lack of trust in God's promise to protect him that moved him to tell the same lie about his wife. Now, as we consider Gerar, like I mentioned, in, in, in regards to its geographical location and, 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 and it also alongside Isaac's willingness to compromise. I think it's safe to, to, to make this comparison to the, uh, of Isaac being here, to make this comparison to maybe our own lives today or, 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 or really to the Christian who is willing to ride the fence. We've heard that saying, right? And maybe in our own, in own areas of our lives, we're kind of riding the fence, so to speak, meaning... Someone who rides the fence as a Christian could be someone who's not completely given over to the world, but someone who has decided to live in a place where they're easily tempted to compromise by the world or even by their own doubts and their own fears. And so it's not such a, a, a difficult thing to do to go from living on the border to going, ah, oh, here I am in Egypt. And when I consider Isaac's sinful behavior to be directly connected to his father, and his father's example, you know what I do? I kind of cringe. It's like, oh, dang it. And I do that because as a father, I look at my own life and I examine it. And I know without a doubt that I have exampled unbelief. And I've exampled ungodly ways to my kids. And I hate seeing my kids struggle and stumble in the same ways that I have or in the ways that I do. But if you're like me, then we must realize, if you're like me, we must let what we read here be a warning. We must let what we read here be an encouragement to us and seek to teach our children the importance, guys, of really the, the heart issue here behind it of not teach them, to teach them to not dwell on the spiritual border, to not dwell in the place where you're between God's land of blessing in Egypt, to not dwell in this place where unbelief and compromise can easily take root of our heart. So not only for the for our own spiritual sake, but also for the spiritual sake of our children, we need to be sold out for God's ways. We need to be all, all in. We need to be all in and really dwell in the heart of God's land. And how do we do that? We do that by pursuing what is holy. We do that by pursuing the eternal things of God and not the temporary pleasures of this world, which the Bible says are passing away. Now, there's one last thing I want to point out before we, before we continue on or before we wrap it up and have our time of prayer. And um, that's in verse 9. Look there with verse 9 with me. I can't believe I only made it to verse 9. In verse 9, it tells us this. 
This is a very interesting verse. It tells us that when Isaac was confronted by Abimelech, the king of Gerar, with his deceitful behavior, he explained that he lied because he did not want to die on Rebekah's account. And the truth is, none of us, he didn't want to die on Rebekah's account. And, 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 and the truth is, None of us men will probably ever be faced with having to give up our lives in order to save our wife's life. Yet I'm sure each his husband here would say that they would do whatever it would take to protect their wife if they, caught, if they found themselves in danger, if they found their lives in danger, including sacrificing their own if they had to. But I want to end with this if the worship team wants to come up. However, if we take these words of Isaac who said, I don't want to die, on, I did not want to die on Rebecca's account, we have to consider Ephesians 5.25, men. Because in Ephesians 5, verse 25, it tells us, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And in that verse, we see that if we want to be a godly husband, then we need to be willing to daily lay down our lives like Jesus laid down his life for us in order to serve and to care for our wives in that same sacrificial and, self, and, 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 and selfless way that Christ has exampled for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for this time. I thank you for the encouragement of your word, the hope that we have in you. And Father, um, I pray, God, that we would see the importance of being all in, Lord, to living our lives in accordance to faith and the things that you have spoken to us. Lord, this world is so tempting and so deceitful is our own hearts, God, that sometimes we think we're going in a way that's right to us and it's, it's just wrong. That's the problem with going in a way that seems right, seems right to us, God, and perhaps there's places in our own lives today where we're like Isaac and we've, we've, we've set up our tent in, in Gerar on the, on the border of, of the world, which, which is, is so against you and not for you, where it's not a safe place. And Father, this morning, perhaps you're calling us out from those places, and I pray, God, that we would be willing to, to just to lay those things down at your feet again. And Father, as we come to you in prayer for, for the needs that we have and for the needs of others this morning corporately, I pray, God, that you would hear our prayers and that you would answer them according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys.